Hello everyone, this is Pastor Jay Tyler from Holt Assembly of God, and I want to thank you for listening to this broadcast of Life in the Spirit. I pray that you are challenged, blessed, and encouraged as you hear God's Word shared in this message. So we're starting a new message series called The Four Promises, and God has made us some specific promises in Scripture, and in this series we're going to explore four of them. We're going to explore four of the promises that God makes us uh, throughout the Word of God. Look what Paul writes about the promises of God. 2 Corinthians 1.20 For all the promises of God in him, or in Christ, are yes, and in him, amen, and look at this, to the glory of God through us. So because of who we are in Christ, there are promises in God's word that he desires that we enjoy, that he desires that we experience and when we experience those promises, it's for the glory of God. Jesus is glorified. He is lifted up when we come together with the promises of God, when we have contact with them, when we experience them. So yes, they are for our benefit, but secondly, they are for the glory of God. So today, as we know, is Palm Sunday. It's, it marks the beginning of Holy Week. On this day, 2,000 years ago, we know that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey and was welcomed by the crowds as Messiah. And uh, those who believed that Jesus was Messiah laid palm branches or waved palm branches and laid their cloaks, kind of gave him the red carpet welcome. And this is what they said as, as Jesus was entering to Jerusalem. And uh, again, they were waving their, their palm branches and doing their thing. It says, Hosanna to the Son of God or to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And that word Hosanna is significant because it reveals this. It reveals what the crowd believed about Jesus, who they thought he was. They thought he was Messiah, but that word Hosanna is important because it reveals something they thought. It was something that they believed that God was delivering on a promise. So that word Hosanna comes from the Hebrew word that means save now or save us, we pray. Save now or save us, we pray. Again, they believed God was delivering on one of his promises. So those who welcomed Jesus into Jerusalem, they believed he was the Messiah, or the Anointed One, or the Christ. And again, that he was going to free them from their oppression from Rome. Their belief was that when Jesus rode into town, that he was coming to deliver them. You know, the fact that he rides in on a donkey should have sent a message to them. Because if you're a king and you're coming in for victory or conquest, you ride on a stallion. But coming in on a donkey was a symbol of peace. So Jesus rides into Jerusalem with all the fanfare. They believe he's going to deliver them from the oppression of Rome, but that's not his mission. It's to rescue mankind from their bondage or their oppression to Satan and to sin. And that's what he came to deliver us from. So this year, uh, the Passover, the Jewish Passover, coincides with Holy Week. I don't know if you noticed that on the calendar. Passover began yesterday evening at sunset, and it will conclude. Easter Sunday at nightfall. And uh, the Jewish religious calendar, if you know, is slightly different than our standard calendar. So here's the question I want you to think about. What does Passover have to do with the four promises we're going to discuss in this series? And that's what I'm going to answer for you here today. And this is what I want you to think about. When you think about all the timing, when Jesus enters into Jerusalem and the Passover is begin getting ready to start, and all the events that will take place in that week, do they happen by accident? Is it by coincidence, or is it by plan and purpose? Of course, I'm sure you know what I'm going to say. It's by plan, God's design, and his purpose. 
that the events that took place during this week didn't just happen, didn't overlap by accident. They overlapped on purpose. And it wasn't my accident. So God could have chose, listen, he could have chose any other day on the calendar. Why did he choose the week of Passover to deliver on these promises? Well, the answer is this. There is no coincidence. It was by plan. It was by purpose. So God could have chose any other day, but he chose this day to do what he did. So Jesus is, is fulfilling a Passover promise. And in fact, if we look at the book of Revelation, uh, it says this about Jesus, that he is the Lamb of God who was slain before the foundations of the earth. What does that mean? It means this, that when before mankind sinned, God had a plan to redeem us. So remember that. So before mankind sinned, God has a plan to redeem us. God's looking down through history. He knows when, he knows where, he knows how, he knows why he's going to redeem us. So we can't look at this, this story and say, well, I think this just might be coincidence. It's not by coincidence. It's by God's plan. It's by his design because before the foundations of the earth were laid, he had a plan to redeem us. So he, he was able to look down through time and know exactly when he was going to deliver us from our sins. So that means before mankind again, before we sin, God had a plan to redeem us. So it's not by coincidence that Jesus comes into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday before the Passover. He's, his experience is death, burial, and resurrection during that week. It's not by accident. It's not by coincidence. It's by God's design. So for centuries, God's been communicating his plans and his purposes to his people, whether it's through the prophets, through scriptures, or even the feast days that the Jews would celebrate. These feast days would reveal things to the Jews. This is why they were commanded to keep these feast days. They showed them who God was, uh, what he did, and what he was going to do. So for 3,500 years, uh, the Jews have celebrated this meal, this Passover meal, and this meal reveals four promises. So for 3,500 years, the Jews have celebrated this meal because of the Passover. It celebrates the Passover. 3,500 years. Think about that. So what began last night or last evening, they've been doing for 3,500 years. So this is a, a verse that is read at every, um, every Passover Seder, every Passover meal. For 3,500 years, they've been reading this verse. Are you ready? So here it is. And this is the basis of the four promises we're going to talk about in this series. Exodus 6, verses 6 through 7. Therefore say to the children of, the, of Israel, I am the Lord... I will bring you out from under the, bond, the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. So I will bring you out, is the first one. I will rescue you. I will redeem you. And I will take you as my people and be your God. It's the four promises that God makes uh, to, to the Israelites. And those four promises are valid to us today. I'm going to show you why they're valid for us today. So at the Passover meal, there are four glasses of wine that are present that represents these four promises. And for 3,500 years, this has been going on. This is not, they've been doing this for 3,500 years. It's nothing new. And uh, God's been reminding them through this meal of what he did, who he is, and what he will do. So that's what this meal is all about. And you know, if you think about it, you say, well, aren't you kind of making a stretch on this? Didn't Jesus teach in parables, which were illustrated messages? 
right? Revealing truth. God's been doing this for a long time. The feast days all reveal something about God, who he is and what he's going to do. So this is nothing new. There's no stretch. And again, it's something that's been going on for 3,500 years. It's really a, a powerful image when you see it all come together. So the Passover meal is, is likewise an, an illustration of what God did, of what he is doing, and what he promises to do. So before we can understand the promises of Passover, we need to, to look at the Exodus for just a minute. But if you're, not, if you're not familiar how the Jews became captive in, in Egypt, then it starts really with Joseph, with Jacob's son, Joseph. And if you'll recall the story, uh, Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers, and he was taken to Egypt as a slave. And he's there for nearly two decades, and Joseph rises to power from slavery to the second-in-command of Egypt. Man, what a powerful story that is. And uh, Joseph is there in Egypt. Of course, we know there's a famine that takes place, and Joseph is overseeing how the provisions are distributed during that famine, and that where is the place that, where it sets up the reunion for Joseph and his brothers to come to Egypt, be reunited with Joseph, and of course there's, there's a lot of grace and mercy there. Joseph has the whole family, all the Israelites, all the Jews brought to Egypt, and we know that they are there under the care of Joseph and under the provision of Pharaoh because they have favor because of the leadership of Joseph during that famine. So as we fast forward, the death of Joseph and the Pharaoh uh, brings an end to that relationship. They had all this favor, but now with the death of Joseph and Pharaoh, that favor uh, begins to wane. And, they, and the, the Egyptians that are there feel intimidated by the growing numbers of the Jews. So they enslave them and they oppress them. And the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt several hundred years. And during that time of oppression, of course, they cry out to God. Again, remember, this is so important too, but God has already made them promises that he would bring them into the land, into the promised land. So under this oppression, they cry out to God, and what does God do? God, he deals with them uh, exactly how he said he would. He deals with them in a way by showing them favor. He remembers his promises. So God, as a result of the Israelites crying out for them, their oppression, sends them Moses. And Moses, we understand, had, been in, had, had grown up in Egypt, had grown up in the palace of Pharaoh, so to speak. But he murders an Egyptian uh, who was abusing a, a, a taskmaster, who was mistreating a Jewish slave. And he flees to Midian, and he's there in exile. And then God speaks to Moses while Moses is in exile, tending sheep. He's a shepherd. God speaks to him from a burning bush that's not consumed. God makes good on his promise and uh, brings Moses. And of course, we know that Moses is sent to Pharaoh and, and tell him this, let my people go. Thus saith the Lord, let my people go. Of course, we know the story. Pharaoh hears the message and he's like, no way. It's not going to happen. Each time uh, Pharaoh says no, God sends a plague. And we know there's 10 plagues that God in, inflicts upon the Egyptians. And uh, the fifth or the 10th and the final one is the big one. It's the granddaddy of them all. And it's, it's the plague of the firstborn. Each time that Moses goes to Pharaoh, let my people go, again, Pharaoh refuses, hardens his heart, and this, this tenth and final one is meant to really just break that hardness. We know the story, and this is exactly where the Passover then becomes into play. In order to, to deliver Israel from the Egyptians, God decided that here's how I'm going to deal with Egypt. That uh, anyone... Um, who is living in the land, the death angel will pass by and he will smite 
the firstborn of that household. But God gives some provisions. And here's how, in order for, for the Israelites to escape this, this plague as well, they have to sacrifice a lamb. They have to take that lamb's blood and they have to apply it to the doorpost of the home so that when the death angel passes over, he sees the blood of the lamb and he passes over them. And he goes to the next house. He spares the firstborn. And if he doesn't see the blood applied to the doorframe of the home, then he smites the firstborn of that household. Again, this is where we get the word Passover. He passes over of the home if he sees the blood. Uh, this, this breaks the, the will or desire of Pharaoh, and he lets the people go. I know there's more to the story, but of course then there's the miracle of the Red Sea the Israelites part through. Uh, the Red Sea, God opens it for them. They, they go then to Mount Sinai, and God gives them the Ten Commandments. And at, when he gives them the Ten Commandments, he gives them the law. And part of the law is this, that the, the Israelites were instructed to have seven feast days. And one of the feast days is exactly what took place in the story, was the Passover. They are to keep seven feasts, which, again, remind them of who God is, what he did, and what he's going to do. Passover was instituted at that place. When you look at Passover, and, and you may think, well, what's, what's the importance of Passover again? Uh, could you imagine for 3,500 years living in Israel or living as God's people and and, you know, year after year, you have this meal. And you say, God, why on earth are we having this meal every year? It's, we have the same foods. We have the same things. Why? And, and Moses, or God instructs Moses of this. He says this, Exodus 12, 24 through 27. And you shall observe this thing as an ordinance for you and your sons forever. And it will come to pass when you come to the land which the Lord will give you, just as he promised that you shall keep this service. And it will be that your children, when they say, what do you mean by this service? That you shall say, it is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord, who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and delivered our households. So again, the reason why they eat the Passover is to remember what God did for them, how God delivered them out of slavery and brought them into the land, how God spared the firstborn passed over, showed mercy and grace to them. So this meal symbolizes Israel's deliverance from slavery. Now let's fast forward from this time. From the time that Israel is delivered, and they celebrate that first Passover, to the time that Jesus is sitting with his disciples at the Last Supper, 1,500 years have passed. They've already done the Passover for 1,500 years. And this is what we forget. This last meal that uh, the disciples have with Jesus is a Passover meal. So when the Jews celebrate the Passover 1,500 years, there's no reason for them to take a lamb, slaughter it, and take its blood and apply it to the door frames of the home. That's, there's no need for that because the reason why they did that in the beginning was so that the death angel would pass over, correct? Well, there's no death angel this time. So what do we do in remembrance? Well, they, a lamb is still central to the story. It's central to the meal, but they don't have to take its blood and splatter it to the doorpost. No, they have this meal, this celebration to commemorate the event. So this is why on this day that when the Jews stand up and they have this meal, they recite Exodus 6 and uh, verses 6 through 7. And during the Passover meal, they have four cups that are present. And each of those four cups represents the four promises God made to them, you know, all the years ago, 3,500 years ago now. So let's read this story. Let's kind of bring this all together. Hopefully you'll see this picture taking place now. The night before Jesus was crucified, Jesus shared a meal with his disciples, his disciples, and gave the following instructions. Hopefully you see this in a different way now. 
Luke 22, verses 15 through 20. Then he said, or Jesus said to them, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. If there was any question about what this meal is, we just got the answer, right? So then Jesus said to them, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. I'm not going to eat of it. I'm not going to eat of what? What was the verse right before? I firmly desire to eat this Passover with you. So I've, I've longed to do it, and now I'm, I need to do it before I suffer. I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then, okay, then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among yourselves. And I say to you, I will not drink or of, the, of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread and gave thanks and broke it. And he gave it to them, saying, this is my body which is given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. Now again, I don't think most of us truly appreciate that connection between those two events. We don't, we don't really put them together. You, we often think about when Jesus is talking about, I'm not going to do this, uh, I'm not going to drink or eat. He does say that, but let's remember he also talked about the Passover just before that. I'm not going to eat the Passover any longer. These are symbols of what has taken place. They are to be done in remembrance. Both, both the, the, the Passover and also communion service are a service of remembrance, a, a memorial. Let's go back, look at verse 16. I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. So when we read that verse, again, we generally think of the bread. But remember, they're not just sitting around eating bread and drinking wine. They're having what? What's the meal called? What? They're having what? A Passover meal. A meal that they had 1,500 years before Jesus. And now 2,000 years after Jesus. 3,500 years total they've been doing this. All right, so this is no mystery. It's no secret. It's something they do, depending on what branch of Judaism they do. Sometimes a little bit different, but they all have a meal, and they have some similarities. It's pretty incredible. And they're not just drink, sitting around this meal, Jesus giving them bread and wine. No, what would they have at a Passover meal? A lamb. So they would be eating a lamb. Why is that significant? What did John the Baptist say when he saw Jesus coming to the Jordan River to be baptized? Look the lamb of God. In fact, that term, Lamb of God, is used 140 times for Jesus. It's one of the most used terms. We forget about that. Revelation really uses the term, the Lamb of God. So behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. When Jesus sits down to eat the Passover meal with his disciples, they would be eating lamb. And why is that significant? What does this have to do with the four promises we're focusing on in this series? And the four cups of wine, again, present this meal symbolic for the four promises. What does all this have to do? Jesus says, I, or the, the promise of God said this, I will save you, I will redeem you, I will restore you, I will fulfill you. So here's what, what I want you to see. God cannot fully deliver on these promises unless the Lamb of God is present. The Lamb they're eating for 3,500 years is not going to satisfy the requirements or give them the access to fulfill all these promises. The promises that we are promised here in Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 through 7 can only be found in Christ, only in Jesus. We can only fully enjoy these promises 
in Christ, the Lamb of God. So when Jesus comes to the table and eats this meal with his disciples, again, 1,500 years they've been doing this already. And he said, I desperately desire to eat this meal and have this conversation with you. Again, the lamb at Passover is symbolic, but the lamb of God is present at the meal now. For all those years, it's only symbolic. But now the lamb of God is present, and he's with the disciples. So Jesus Christ is the Passover lamb. Listen, it's only through the blood of Jesus, only the lamb of God that we can be saved, we can be freed, we can be restored, and we can be fulfilled. It's only through him. I mean, eating that meal every year, was not go- it's not going to get it done. It's only through the Lamb of God. So Jesus is at the center of all these promises, all four promises. He is at the center of them. Under the new covenant, Jesus is the Lamb of God. Under the old covenant, a lamb was killed and consumed to remind Israel to commemorate the event, to do as a remembrance or as a remor- memorial, but its full fu- the full fulfillment would take place later. 1,500 years later, it's taking place. Jesus is the Lamb of God, and he's present at this Passover meal. Now, under the new covenant, Jesus is the Lamb. We, we, he gives us two new symbols. The two, nimble, two new symbols are his, or the bread and the, and the wine, or the juice, whatever you want to use. The, the bread being symbolic for what? His body. The wine being symbolic for his blood. Jesus is the Lamb of God who was slain for the sins of the world. So when we take communion together— to eat uh, the bread and drink from the cup, we do it in remembrance. And we do it in remembrance of the Lamb of God. 1,500 years before Jesus, he comes to fulfill this. Again, for 1,500 years, they're doing this meal. And now he stands before his disciples. He's the Lamb who was slain before the foundations of the world. And here he is in the midst of them. It's really a powerful picture. When we take communion together, we commemorate who Jesus is, what he's done, what he'll do, and what he's going to do, right? I mean, the, the, the same promises exist. You say, I think you might be making a stretch on all this. Let's look at the words of Paul for just a second. 1 Corinthians 5, 7, For indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. He is, our, he is the Lamb of God. He is the Passover Lamb. Jesus is at the center of this meal. And again, in order to experience the full blessing of the promises God made 3,500 years ago, Jesus has to be center of those promises. Without the Lamb of God, the promises of God that he makes in Exodus chapter 6 cannot be fully realized. There are three things I want you to see about a lamb that was used in the Passover meal and how Jesus will embody these same qualities. So just three things I want to show you real quick. Number one, the lamb had to be perfect. The lamb had to be perfect. So when, they, when the Passover meal came around, they didn't pick a lamb that was expendable. They didn't take a lamb that had defect or, you know, we could, we could do without this lamb. We could just eat this one. No, they took the best from their flock. They took one without spot, without blemish. They took one that was perfect. And there was no exceptions. This is what they were commanded. Uh, Exodus 12:5. For your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of its first year. You shall take it from the sheep or from the goats. So you had to select a perfect, spotless lamb. Why? Why did you have to pick a perfect, spotless lamb? Only a perfect, spotless lamb could redeem whatever was unclean. It could only redeem, under the law, it could only, be, it could only redeem what was unclean. Something that was perfect and spotless. But the blood of an animal sacrifice cannot change the human heart. Again, when we see the Jews sacrificing animals, clean animals, 
in order to make the unclean clean. We see the picture that's taking place, but we have this fulfillment in Christ. So only Jesus, only his shed blood can make us right before God. It's not observing these rituals. It's not eating these meals. It's, it's found only in Christ. Look at 1 Peter 1, verse 18. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by traditions from your fathers, but with a, the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Only Jesus, the Lamb of God, pure, holy, and spotless, can redeem us and can give us access to God's promises and to, to experience them in their fullness. Number two, the Lamb had to be sacrificed. The Lamb had to be sacrificed. Exodus 12, verse 6. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. The original Hebrew word can translate kill or as slaughter. My opinion is slaughter is a better word because that's exactly what happened to Jesus. You know, when you think about Jesus, he didn't receive a few bumps and bruises and he bled to death on the cross. We, we know he crucifixion was death by asphyxiation. It was a horrible death. And so Jesus was slaughtered. And there's really no better term. The, the Lamb of God was slaughtered. And he was slaughtered for our sins. And some people wonder why. Why, why would God ever select a time in human history when, when uh, capital punishment was so brutal? I mean, the, the Romans made this an art form. I mean, it's so well documented. It's amazing how they would, would just tear apart a person and put them to death. It was one of the most brutal times in human history. You can say, well, I think beheading's pretty. You know what? Beheading is an act of mercy. What Jesus endured was a slaughter. It was suffering. So why not today? Why, not allow, why, why wouldn't God allow Jesus to die here and now? Because today would be, at best, probably lethal injection. So why on earth would God select a time in human history when capital punishment was so brutal? And this was prophesied 700 years before Jesus died on the cross. I don't think you get a better glimpse into what Jesus suffered than through the eyes of Isaiah the prophet when he describes God's suffering servant. 700 years before the death of Jesus, he writes this. Isaiah 53, verses 3 through 7. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him, and he was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteem him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. And he was wounded for our transgressions, and he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes were healed. All, look, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before his, his shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. It's not, is there not a better picture depicting what Jesus went through than 700 years prior, God giving the prophet Isaiah a glimpse into what God's suffering servant would endure. It's truly an incredible picture. You know, ironically, we look at the events of, of Friday, we call it Good Friday, but there's nothing good that happens to Jesus on, on Friday. He was beaten. He was brutalized. 
If, you, if you've never had a chance to see The Passion of the Christ, I, I think it's one of the, the best movies uh, ever, you know, that depicts the, uh, the crucifixion of Christ. And it's a, it's a brutal uh, depiction of the, the crucifixion of Christ, but it, it's an accurate one. And Jesus suffered, listen, he suffered way too uh, brutal of a death for us not to experience his promises. Again, when we experience God's promises, it glorifies him. It maximizes his glory. You know, God, God did not give us these promises for us just to kind of look at and to enjoy in a meal. He wants us to experience these promises. Why? Because when we do, it maximizes his glory. Jesus receives all the rewards of his suffering. Remember, it maximizes his glory. Best time that, that Jesus could come and to suffer this death was the time that he did. Again, it's not by accident. It was by God's plan and design. Look at number three. The lamb had to be shared. The lamb had to be shared. Exodus 12, 4. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons. According to each man's need, you shall make your count, your, your count for the lamb. The lamb was slaughtered. It was to be consumed. And it was, there was not supposed to be any kind of leftovers. So the lamb was part of a communal feast. Uh, you know, when you think about a lamb, we think of these, these little animals, but <clears throat> a yearling lamb can weigh, you know, 65, 70 pounds. So a large gathering it would take to consume the lamb. So again, you, unless you had a very large family, you're going to invite people in because the lamb was supposed to be shared. So you didn't just take the lamb, eat what you wanted, and throw out the rest. Throw out the rest. That's how it worked. Again, you would invite people over, and you would have a meal together. Here's what I would say. You would share the lamb. So here's my question to you. Are we sharing the lamb? Are we sharing the lamb? As a church, are we sharing the lamb? I, I look around the sanctuary, and, I, and I, this is just an example, but I'm saying we, we got plenty of lamb to share. We've got plenty of lamb to share. 2 Corinthians 5.19, look at this verse. Paul writes, that is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to him, as has committed to us, look, the word of reconciliation. So Jesus did all his work on the cross. He's already done it. The Holy Spirit is doing his part. Now, what is our part? Our part is this, to share the lamb. That, that's our part. Our part is to share the lamb. Each and every one of us, not just the pastor, not the deacons, not people who are in positions. No, it's every one of us. Every one of us are called. If we have shared the lamb, then we are called to share the lamb. Easter Sunday, is, it's an important Sunday. I don't care what anyone says. And when you look at Easter Sunday, it's, it's a lot like Christmas. People in our community are more open to an invitation to go to church. I've read something that when I was looking at statistics, I think it was something like uh, on, a, on a normal Sunday, if you would invite someone, you'd extend an invitation. And remember, 84% of people come to church because of a person, or 80% become come to church because of a personal invitation, because you personally invite them to come to church. However, the success rate on a normal Sunday is 20%. There's some data that's available that says this, that I believe it's 84%. You have an 84% chance of that person coming to church where on a normal Sunday, it's only 20%. Why not share the lamb this week? Why not take advantage of the circumstances God's given us? We have seven days to, to Easter. You have plenty of time to share the lamb, amen? Once again, I'd like to thank you for listening to this message. It was an honor to be able to spend this time with you in God's Word. If you have any questions or would like to find out more about Holt Assembly of God, please go to our website at www.holtag.org. 
and connect with us there. Until our next broadcast of Life in the Spirit, I hope that you have a great day as you serve the Lord Jesus with a grateful heart.